This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The diagnosis of losing your vision can be a jarring one. The experience of going through vision loss is something entirely different, but it's something that people have to grapple with. Becky Zarr is one of those people. Becky's an entrepreneur based in Saskatchewan, and Becky's been doing some thinking about the things that she wished she would have known as she went through her own journey. Hey, good morning, Becky. Morning, Dave. Uh, Becky, why did this topic come to mind for you? Yeah, you know, the other day I was on my social media and I'm a part of a couple of vision loss um, support groups on Facebook. And it seemed that there was quite a few posts about from new people who that are just starting their vision loss journey. And, you know, while I was reading their posts, I could really feel their emotions coming through and, um, you know, fear and anxiety and stress. And then it got me reflecting back, I guess, at that point of when I first stepped into this and I could relate to a lot of what they were saying. And so I think it's just important that we keep the conversation going and we, so people understand that, you know, you and I that are, I'd like to say high functioning right now uh, with our vision loss just didn't pop out like this, right? Like it took a lot of time and a big journey to get here as well, just to encourage each other that, you know, life will go on because when I first stepped into the vision loss world, I definitely didn't think my life was going to go on. Not a positive way like it is right now so everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different but there are commonalities and there are common threads that can be put together here to form a tapestry for example i'm someone who was born legally blind so i've been adapting since day number one i that's the only experience that i know but you went through something different because you were someone who went through sight loss so how did support systems end up becoming one of the foundational pieces of your experience and your journey. Totally. Um, And, I mean, my support network has been my number one thing, I will say, since my vision loss, and even prior to. I mean, I had a really strong foundation of family and friends that I think um, allowed me to get to where I am today. And with my vision loss, it's been a little bit weird, I will say, in that, you know, I lost a sight fully in my right eye when I was three. And so my right eye is artificial. It's plastic. Um, I don't take it out. It stays in there. But to me, prior to losing my sight in my left eye, everything was normal. Um, I mean, I was able to achieve the career I wanted to at that time without any restrictions. I was a nurse. I drove. I, you know, parented how I wanted to. And um, I think that once I stepped into losing my my sight fully at one point um, in my left eye very suddenly from one day to the next. If I didn't have that support mechanism in place, I don't think that you and I would be having the conversation that we're having today because I don't think that I would have rebounded to the extent that I have. Um, So I, I owe them a huge thank you. And for those of us who are you know, lucky enough to have those supports um, that are willing to step up. I, I think it's a game changer. 
It's something that comes up frequently in these conversations is the notion of community around you. And certainly community is something that can build those spirits and offer insight. And maybe that's a little bit of what you were getting to in terms of the jumping off point for this conversation, that people are joining these Facebook groups or these Instagram groups or Reddit threads that end up being a resource, end up being a place where you can find community, but there's nothing that can truly replicate community in your own region, in your own vicinity, in your own locale. Totally. And I mean, my husband, my parents, they were, my friends, they were all trying to understand, you know, what I was going through, but they couldn't get it entirely. So when I was first, you know, trying to figure this out myself, I felt really alone and lost. And um, I really wanted to find somebody who was doing this. And I mean, I'm talking 10 years ago, it's not a lifetime ago, but 10 years ago, I felt like I couldn't easily find somebody out there and I could see them successfully navigating and you know they were in the pits of where I felt I was at that moment but they dug themselves out and stuff and so you know I think it's important for people to find you know their motivation as well and for me I mean I've made it well known this entire process my biggest motivator was my son and he was three at the time and I don't think that he had any idea of his instrumental um, role that he had in my my life change, right? Like, um, he was the one that motivated me without words or, you know, particular deliberate actions to get off the couch, to, you know, put my big girl panties on and to step back into the world because I was so fixated on what everybody else around me was thinking um, because, I, I just, I was so worried about it and I don't know why. And I think that, you know, people kept on telling me, oh, just relax, don't worry about it. But I couldn't relax and not worry about it until my head was allowed to click that button off and be like, you know, relax. And what I had them, you know, saying in their head was likely nowhere near what they were actually thinking about me. But I had just such an escalated amount where they were like, you know, um, really scrutinizing my life and judging me. And I think the problem was, Dave, that I was embarrassed of who I had become. Mm. And I don't know why I was so embarrassed of my vision loss that, you know, having to bring out that lovely white cane I hated it. I mean, we all hate it. I know I shouldn't say all, but I've, I've liked to, I think that most of us hate it from one point or, or another in our life um, for one reason or another. And for me, it represented what I wasn't ready to accept myself as a person. And so therefore I wasn't ready to advertise it yeah. to the world, but it felt like a billboard, right? Yeah. Of what my information was that I wasn't ready to accept myself or share with others, but I had to. It, it becomes this this structure that allows people to ask you questions that maybe you don't want to deal with. I know I was at the uh, barber last Friday, and he just started telling me every albino story that he knew. And I was like, I don't really feel like talking about albinism right now. Can you please just cut my hair? Like, like I don't really feel like talking to you about my disability. Please just cut my hair, and can we talk like a regular barber and human being about music or anything else? Right. Just let me blend, right? Just yeah. treat me as a person. And I think that people mean well for it. Oh, he was totally well-meaning. Franco, if you're watching, yeah. like, I know you were totally well-meaning. But, but, but please, next time, let's not talk about albinism. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, just, you know, let's, yeah, music, sports. Uh, there's nothing going on in the news. Like, like, like anything, anything. Like anything at all. Anything at all. <laughs> Becky, dive a little deeper into, into, the, into the way in which or the advice you might want to offer in regards to guide dogs, white canes, other accessibility tools. Yeah, you know what? I, I bucked it as long as I possibly could because I thought I was, I don't know, in some ways, I thought I was too cool. Like, I thought I was, like, not in that place. And um, the white cane, to me, was it was a temporary thing. I think it represented. Um, I wish that I would have embraced it earlier and with a little less resentment because as much as I hated the white cane, it actually allowed me to take the next step forward in my life, um, which eventually led me to getting the guide dog. And I wish I would have got Lulu and it wouldn't have been Lulu. I recognize that a guide dog sooner because I looked absolutely ridiculous fumbling and, you know, tripping and trying to walk independently. But I looked ridiculous to the sighted world when I thought I was blending in. And um, I just wish that I would have recognized that sooner and that the white cane or the guide dog, it's not just for me and my ease to get around, but it's for the sighted world around me that is whipping around and on phones and distracted by multiple visual things as well to recognize, oh, she can't see like I do. And perhaps I should, you know, keep, keep aware of that and just to give other people a heads up but at that time it was all about me yeah and i wish i would have known that sooner again it's it's understandable that you're going to be inward looking as you go through something in your life before you start thinking about the outside world i know when i was a teenager the montreal association for the blind uh said hey why don't you start carrying around an id cane not a white cane but an id cane just to sort of let people know a little bit because you can blend sometimes and sometimes you don't always want to blend sometimes you want them to understand that you have a disability and you might require a little bit of extra assistance Right. But I'm guessing you probably did you just grab no, it and no, like I was, no, no, I was no, no, I was Becky, I was an awkward teenager. I was an awkward teenager and I said no. I I want to continue trying to blend as best I can as much as you can right. as a six foot tall thirteen year old who has albinism. Uh, Becky, you mentioned <laughs> the, the career pivot here. Now now I've had about seventy thousand fights with disability advocates about the way that people talk about career and work with disabilities. You know, you hear this line of you can do any job if you have a disability. <laughs> Incorrect. I'm blind. I cannot be a surgeon. And like, that's okay. But what kind of reckoning did you have around your career? And what's the advice that you would offer to some people who might have to make an adjustment, in some cases, a significant adjustment? Totally. I love that you point that out because I'm all about enabling people and advocating and empowerment. But no, we cannot be pilots. We cannot be surgeons. And I proved to myself that I actually cannot be a registered nurse. So prior to my sight loss, I was a registered nurse and it was a huge part of my identity. And I think that was a big reason why I had such troubles in letting it go. Um, But I did muster up. I went through all of the steps and retraining and all that kind of jazz and went back to work. Don't worry, I wasn't working frontline. I was doing a government role. But at the same time, the role that I was doing was um, 
somewhat important, I like to think. It was an educator role. And so if I go and think something says a six, because at this time, reflecting back, I still wasn't using um, all of the assisted tools as I should have. I was using ZoomText. Well, I don't see enough for ZoomText. So a six to an eight to me means a human um, potential medication error mm-hmm. that I would then mm-hmm. be teaching other people. And that's a problem. And I, I, I encourage people to find a career that they love, but make it something that is going to be doable for your world as well. Um, and so, no, I, I recognize that it wasn't safe for me or anybody um, to be a registered nurse in the, the role that I was doing it. So I, it took a long time because I was losing my license and I had worked hard for that license and my education and et cetera. Um, but I eventually stepped back and was provided different opportunities because people around me were starting to identify different skills that I didn't even recognize were actual skills. It was just part of, you know, the communication tool was just part of how I always was. And so somebody would have said to me, you know, back in August of 2013, that I would be a content creator, I'd be a podcaster, I would be a co-writer for a document, you know, documentary series, and I would be opening a hotel. I probably would have said you're going to, like, you should get tested for some heavy you know, <laughs> drug use because there's no way that I'm going to be doing those things. Like I couldn't even at that point pour a glass of water for myself. I didn't have the skills, but um, hang in there. Honestly, the career and occupation is a thing. Just find something that works for your life and try not to buck against, um, I guess, uh, to, to me, I don't need to prove that I can be a pilot, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to be a pilot as a sighted person, and I don't want to be a pilot as a blind person either. It's just It just doesn't work. So I, I would like to think that we can do stuff that um, interests us. Like don't you don't have to be a Walmart greeter because if you're not interested in being a Walmart greeter, don't be a Walmart greeter, right? But if that's your, your life passion, give her because it's something you can actually do, right? So um, I just think be, be realistic and keep trying to dip your toe in there and step out of your comfort zone because I think for me initially that is what was blocking me in my career pivot and I feel that each time that I kind of giggle at these opportunities that are presented to me and be like you think like I can actually like I'm do that like you want me to do that okay and step past my own barricade that I've put up then good things actually do come and I become even more confident of, of an individual yeah it's 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 a good life experience to share there it's uh, it's difficult to do though because because in both these cases, you're talking about a shift in identity, and it's not always it's not always easy to do. But the perspective is very much appreciated. Becky, thank you for this. Enjoy some uh, vacation time around the cottage. Thanks so much. Take care. That's Becky Zar, entrepreneur based in Saskatchewan, telling you a bit about her story of going through the vision loss experience. Coming up after the break, a couple of news stories caught the attention of John Lepke. He wants to get a reaction to the start of the 2024 tax season and tipflation, tip creep popping up at a place of business near you. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 
I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.